0: Welcome to From Embers to Excellence, a podcast that explores the many facets of leadership from the perspectives of some amazing people. We discuss the triumphs and failures that have shaped our lives and our leadership philosophies. It isn't whether we fail that defines us, but when we do fail, how do we respond? Leaders dust off the ashes and use their failures as fuel to work harder and as lessons to come back wiser and stronger, more resilient, more determined, and more committed to excellence. And now, here is your host, Dave Hollenbach.
1: Today, I'm talking with Rick Lasky. He is a 40-year veteran of the fire service. He served as the fire chief of Louisville Fire Department in Texas for 12 years, and prior to that, as a fire chief in Idaho. Most recently, he was interim chief for the Trophy Club Fire Department in Texas. Rick is a long-standing editorial advisory board member for Fire Engineering Magazine, and as an author, has written over 200 technical articles that have been published in national fire rescue journals. He is the author of the best-selling books *Pride and Ownership* and Five Alarm Leadership. He is also the co-host for the radio show, The Command Post, heard on Fire Engineering Talk Radio. Rick lectures at the local, state, national, and international levels, and is a sought-after speaker by both the public and private sectors. And I've got to tell you, I really appreciate you agreeing to allow me to interview you. We've spent some time talking in the past, actually had uh, several opportunities to hear you speak and. Uh, it's an honor to have you on, and uh, I look forward to seeing where this conversation goes. Uh, the honor is mine, buddy. I appreciate it. And uh, uh, I feel bad you had to read all that. You know, they, they put
2: that stuff, you know how it is, they put that stuff together for you. And I'm like, sometimes I'll be somewhere they'll be reading. I'm like, you didn't have to read all that, but that was very nice of you. So I owe you 20 bucks for that intro. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I wanted to kind of get started where it all started for you, uh, talk about Maybe your life growing up, where you grew up, uh, what your family was like, and maybe some of your fondest memories.
2: Well, for me, I was born and raised you know pretty much on the south side of Chicago. We moved out to the suburbs, a couple suburbs outside of Chicago. I was uh, well halfway whatever, somewhere through elementary school. but um, you know my dad was uh, was a firefighter. For me. I mean, I had you know I was blessed. I had an incredible mom. You know, my dad, you know, there were some struggles there. I'll explain a little bit later. My, my younger brother uh, was eight years old when I was 12. He was diagnosed with an operable brain tumor and uh, he had a pass in 18 months later. And I've still never kind of recouped from that. I miss him. I miss him all the time. I always tell people he would have been a million times better life than anything than I was. But, you know, I know he's always been watching. Or he's he's pulled me out of some crappy situations. Let me tell you, he's been my guardian angel for, for a long time. But uh, growing up there, I mean, you know, I, I was I was very active in sports, whether it's football or baseball, or wrestling. Uh, I loved baseball. Uh, ended up, uh, you know, heading down to Sarasota with the Chicago White Sox and ended up leaving it for a former relationship uh, after a while. And it's funny how everything, you know, works out for a reason. My roommate, uh, Ron Kittle, he made it to the bigs and he's a big PR guy for the White Sox now. And uh, we... Back and forth on Twitter, pretty much every day. He's, he's a great great guy. He helped me out. I'd never been out of Chicago. I'd never been on an airplane. I was 18 years old. I'd never been anywhere. But growing up, in my house being half Italian, half Polish means I have a real bad temper. But I forget what I'm mad at. Um, <laughs> you know, my my my, my, my dad uh, influenced me a lot when it came to the fire service. Him being a firefighter. So you know, growing up for me, you know, family wise, you know, it was it was. Uh, relationships i got to know my grandparents really well um and, and some others so just like everybody else but but that being said i mean the whole thing with um the fire services my dad i mean my dad was a firefighter when i was like literally in diapers and i can remember going to calls going to runs with him a couple of their former members they'll post pictures on some of these facebook pages on apparatus and i'll see these these old these old rigs that I, I was like, God, I remember that one. I remember sitting, I remember, I mean, I, I remember that one, that one. And, 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 and it's nice. It kind of brings back some, some good memories. I remember being small enough to crawl up into the wheel wells and wipe down the wheel wells with the towels. I was so little. And I could, till this day I can recite all the names of the people on the shifts there and who we worked with and what they did and the influence they had on me. So, you know, between the, you know, the fire service and, um, You know, sports and everything else, it it kept me busy. Probably mentioned a little bit later, but, um, you know, I did the law enforcement thing for a while, too. Ended up as a police explorer when I was 15, and then into the fire side of it as well later. I guess growing up, David, I guess, you know, I, I try to share this with people because, you know, and you know this with what you do, there's a lot of people out there that don't recognize the ability they have to make a difference in other people's lives, right? And uh, when I do some of my programs, especially when I do it for law enforcement, there's a picture I'll put up. It's a black and white photo uh, for the early seventies of a police department precinct. It's got like all the white shirts and detectives in the front row. And it's just, you know, a big group picture. And I put it up on a slide and I put a big arrow that says saved with red lettering to a guy in the back row. And I go, look, I said, you know, when my brother passed away, actually, when he got sick. He didn't even know he had a brain tumor. He was told he needed glasses because his, his eyes were going, you know, crossing, he was getting blurred vision. And we slept in the same bedroom and he woke up one night having a nightmare. And he said, Ricky, they, they want to put me in a wooden box. Please don't let a wooden box me in a, a coffin. And, you know, I'm 12 years old. There's no counseling for kids, if you will. You know what I'm saying? I I panicked. And instead of staying home with them every second I could, I stayed awake every second I could. And I staying, I started hanging out with some firefighters' kids from my dad's apartment. They were open to me me. And uh, we got into, we got into trouble. I have no problem admitting we stole cars. We, we broke into houses. We broke into boxcars. We did damage. We did. I mean, I never got away with nothing. I can't tell how many times I had handcuffs on as a, as a 13 year old kid. And I remember I'm, I'm walking into the back of the police station in handcuffs and this, this newer police officer, a guy named Frank Sinicki. He's, he's got me in, he walks in and there's a, there's like a holding room for juveniles. And with those metal desks, and you know what handcuffs sound like when they hit, like, you know, he takes them off, he throws them on the table. He says, sit down, blah, blah, blah. He says, you know, the only way I'm going to keep you from going to jail is by making you a police cadet. And I went, I don't think so. I'm, 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 <laughs> no, I'm going to be a firefighter. I'm not going to be a cadet He goes, I don't think you understand. The only way you're not going to jail tonight is, is by me making play. I said, no, I don't think you understand. I'm not going to be a cop. because if you don't do this stuff, we're starting this new program, Monday night at 6 o'clock called The Explorers. I need a uniform size. You'll be at 6 o'clock, or you're going to the Audi home right now. And I went, okay, here are my sizes. I'll see you at 6 o'clock. And all kidding aside, aside from that, aside from maybe a little fight you know, when I was maybe a freshman in high school, you know, you said the principal's office, I never got in trouble again. It was because a dispatcher named Joni told him, when the rest of the cops were calling me a scumbag little dirtbag kid, she say, "No, I, I think he's you know." And it, what happened was, I mean, my mom and dad. My dad just passed this this last Father's Day, but you know, my dad ended up with a little you know a drinking problem with my brother's sickness and things, and I didn't have that influence in my life, so I was out doing what I was doing. My mom was working and everything else, and uh, uh, she says, "I think he really needs someone," and he took a chance. And uh, the, the problem is I never got to thank him. You know, I had an FBI friend of mine look him up and he ended up as a police chief somewhere out in Colorado later in his career and passed away. And I never got to thank him. And a lot of people equate that that word or the phrase saved to back to the church. And I guess in a roundabout way, I did, but I did it via patrolman Frank Sinicki. Um, I would not be where I'm at today. If a police officer didn't take a moment to help me, and 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 Dave, I, th- I think so many people in the fire service and in law enforcement forget the impact you have on people around you. That what we think is just a glancing, sometimes we don't even realize it. it's not. It's just like like two stars bump and boom. I mean, you don't even know it, yet you change somebody else's life. You know, it's a, it's a whole wonderful life thing with that Christmas movie that you just really never know. And, you know, that was it. And, 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 you know, from there we could talk about some other things, but if it hadn't been for Frank Sinicki, I don't know what hell I'd probably be in jail right now, but I never got away with nothing. Shot me into a whole different direction with law enforcement as a police officer later on and as a firefighter, paramedic and so on. So God bless Frank Sinicki, You know, I know he's up in heaven today because he took the time with me. That's an awesome story.
1: (laughs) Uh, (laughs) well.
2: You know, it's something. You know, I, I do a, a leadership class, building tomorrow's leaders and successors for like middle schoolers and high schoolers, and I, I do it. I, I've done it for a lot of the armed forces groups. We do a lot of programs for the military, and I did it for when my son was a FMF corpsman with the Navy. He was out of Twenty Nine Palms. Uh, that was his Marine Corps base assigned signed to, it. and I went out and did the program for them for CSAD, that's the Coalition Against Sailor, uh, Coalition of Sailors Against Destructive Decisions. You know, and it's a good mentor group, and. I shared it there whenever I teach a program, especially for law enforcement, because, you know, as a cop, but right now, it's hard being a police officer. God, I, I love my my brothers and sisters in blue, and I really love my dispatchers. With everything, I just, it's always been a hard job to begin with, and it's, it's easy to have a negative attitude when you're a police officer when people are yelling at you and cursing you, spitting on you and everything else. And I always do that. Every time I lead that program off, I show them that picture and go, there you go. That guy had no idea what he was doing. No idea. I think, I think basically, I think at first, maybe I thought, maybe he's doing that just to get out of paperwork because every time he has to arrest me, it's through paperwork. So if he scares me, not get in trouble, he won't do paperwork anymore. When I found out Joni, the dispatcher told me that later, it all made sense. And I just want them to know, you know, you don't, you don't have to, as much as we're all in the whole life safety arena, you don't have to pump on someone's chest or crawl to burning building or carry a pistol on your side to make a difference. In fact, I think the majority of the differences we make are those, those insignificant little chances that we have meetings with people that we don't even know we did anything. It's not a boohoo story. I, I miss my brother. I love my brother. It's one of those stories. I wish more people would share with other people that kind of story to help other, you know, younger folks go, okay, that makes sense. Cause I was traveling on that path. You know,
1: funny that you talk about your brother, my, my younger brother passed away in 2010. His, his son was just shy of two years old. I never, never knew grief like that. It's a loss that I don't think a lot of people understand unless they've actually lost a sibling. It's a different type of loss than losing a parent or a grandparent or something like that.
2: Hey, parents and grandparents are hard enough, like you say, but a brother or sister is just terrific. You know, exactly. Sorry for your loss. Yours too, buddy. But anyway, you know, it's, I think they, they're, they're you know, proud to know that we're doing stuff to make a difference in other people's lives. You know, I, I, I don't want to believe that I know that. So it's, it, it's, it's a cool feeling. Yeah.
1: The, the one thing that I tried to, I, I tried to find some kind of blessing in disguise when, when my brother passed, cause it, you know, I, I went to a really dark place angry for a lot of different reasons but what I did notice when when I came back to work after bereavement leave and I did take some sick days after that when I got back on shift you know I was the lieutenant at a pretty busy firehouse and it was like my first shift back we had uh, a call where somebody had passed and their family was there grieving and uh, prior to that I I hate to say that I was kind of calloused. I would tell them, okay, you know, this is what you can expect. Uh, Law enforcement's going to come and, you know, they've got some resources that they'll probably sit down and discuss with you. And then, you know, we'd go on about our way. Well, after my brother passed, I could really empathize. I I understood what they were experiencing and I would take the time if nothing more than just put my hand on their back and give them a glass of water. I hate that it took my brother's death for me to actually gain that compassion, but you know, hopefully it, it made a difference in somebody, somebody's life. Well, how many
2: people know that, you know, how many of our firefighters have never experienced having a fire in their own home? When you see one that does, sadly, tragically, again, all of a sudden you look at fire victims differently. You know, we've always said the fire service, it, 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 sadly, it always takes it always takes the death of a firefighter for us to wake up and, and fine-tune our training to stop being complacent and take our job more seriously. You know, we've always said out of public until the right person gets killed out there that, the, you know, politicians aren't going to do anything about it. And sometimes our own lives, it just takes, and I, and I wanted to key on something you said about how, you know, how do you take something that's so tragic or hurtful or negative, if you will, and turn it into a positive. One of my favorite books, I love books, but if I had to pick my favorite book of all time, um, besides all the books I've, I've read and I enjoyed it, would be the five people you meet in heaven, uh, by, by Mitch Alba. Mitch is a reporter up in Detroit and he's written several bestsellers, Tuesdays at Maury and a bunch of other, and a lot of them are made into movies. And, uh, it was a, it was a gift. Uh, my buddy Jay Jester, uh, is, a an officer in uh, Salisbury, career, career officer in Salisbury, Maryland. And he was a volunteer in Ocean City, Maryland at the time. And brought me out to brought me out to, to do a program for them. And we went to supper with uh, the men and women of the Department of and Others. And his wife, Annie, God bless her. Uh, she's sitting across from me. And she's like, so, Rick, how'd you end up in Texas? And I tell the whole story how I ended up in Texas. How, you know, somebody from Chicago ended up in Texas via North Idaho. I'm sure we'll get to that later. And, and I explained that. And I said, I think it was just one of those things it was meant to be. You know, she goes, oh, my God, Oh my, do you really believe things are meant to be and things happen for a reason? I said, you know, I, I think a lot of things are written down. I think a lot of things happen for a reason. Uh, not I don't think everything, but I think a lot of things do. And someday there's going to be a book we're going to see It's going to say that happened for this reason. I'm not in a hurry to see that book, but someday we're going to get there. But yeah, I do. She says, oh, ha- have you ever read the book, The Five People You Meet in Heaven? written by my Mitch album, the same guy that wrote Tuesdays at Maury. And I said, Annie, look at me. Do I look like I got it? read the book, The Five People You Meet in Heaven? If it don't have a, a you know a fire engine on it or a hockey player or baseball, I, I probably didn't read. She goes, no, it's a great book. It teaches you about you know uh, about, about about forgiveness and in order to forgive other people, forgive yourself first, and it helps you take those those bad times in your life and spin them into golden opportunities and how to build them into strengths and and it's just blah blah blah. And I went, like, no, she goes, here, write it down. So I I, I wrote it down. Five people would have it, Mitch Album. I got home, David, I, I didn't go get it. So because again, no fire engine, no hockey player, I'm probably not going to read it. So anyway, that being said, about a month later, I get an early Christmas present from Jay and Annie, from Jay and Annie, and it's the book. And now now I got to read the thing. He knows I tell this story. I've told this story for years. And I go... So my I gotta read this because you know they're gonna ask who I thought of it. I can't lie to her. So yeah, it was great. And then they asked what my favorite part was. So. <laughs> <laughs> I started, I sat down after supper, chair. I started reading it. About 10 minutes into it, I turned the TV down. Another 10-15 minutes, click, I shut the TV off. Then my wife's in the other room. And and now, if you know me, I always had the TV on. I always oh, this is I don't have it on right now, but it's on in the other room. I always had the TV on. She hears it, she hears the TV off. She comes running around. She goes, Are they okay? I hear the TV's okay. I'm lying there dead with the remote in my hand. And I said, no, I'm, I'm reading a book. And she goes, you're not reading a book. I go, I'm too reading a book. She goes, what book are you reading? I said, it's a book called The Five People Meet in Heaven. She goes, no, that's one of those penthouse books. I go, I don't read, I don't read those books. <laughs> as, as far as you know, I don't read those books. So, I, I you know, and she looks at me, she goes, are you crying? I went, no. And I'm not ashamed to admit it. You know, that book changed my life forever. Forever. I, I, I met Mitch Albom years and years ago. And I told him uh, when he was signed my book, I said, I stopped counting in over 200 copies of your book I've given away to people. I've given away copies of the movie. The, I tell people, get the book first. The book makes the movie better. The movie makes the book better. John Voigt, as George Costanza would say from SciFold, John Voigt, the actor, he's the star. Ellen Bernstein's in there. Jeff Daniels, uh, oh, I can't believe I forgot his name. Um, I can't just blanked out. I know, I know what I'm talking about. He played Christopher on his Sopranos. It's, it's incredible. And I have it on my iPad cause I watch it so much. And when you talk about making a difference in other people's lives, I told him, I said, you know, what I, the, there's probably a thousand lessons over the years, David, I've gotten from that book or, and, or from that movie, but the biggest one of all is, is one I kind of hinted at before. It's the things that we all think are insignificant. It's those insignificant, simple, simple, insignificant things that often have the greatest impact on, on, on someone's life. It's a smile. It's, it's a shake of a hand or a, a knuckle bump right now. You know, it's, a, it's, it's reading to a kid. It's changing a smoke detector battery. It's helping a little old lady off the floor who fell for the fifth time this month, a lift assist. It's that you consider those blessings instead of nuisance that you're helping someone's grandma. It's all these little things. And and, and, and I've got way too many stories to even tell you tonight as to, as to how I backed it up. But anyway, I'm in Mundelein, Illinois, doing, doing the Pride Ownership program. And I always, I talk about that book in every single Pride Ownership program, every single program. I get the point and I, I tell, there's several, several stories I attach to that book, but um, uh, maybe another show we could, we could talk about that. But that being said, it was the end of the day and a male, female firefighter came up and they were, everybody's, yo, everybody's nice. Thank you, Rick. Thank you, Chief. And I thought they were male, female firefighter. It was husband and wife, and the wife wasn't a firefighter. She was wearing a shirt, and they come up. He goes, "I want to use my wife." I saw oh, you know and I'm not in the fire service. She goes, uh, "You know, I loved, I love the, the day was great, and I love the, I love the story. I already ordered it. I already ordered the book, you know, on on the web, uh, the five people in heaven. But I do have to ask you." She, she goes, um, "My sister was just diagnosed with terminal cancer. Uh, how do I spin that around into a positive?" You know, my big Push on it was you need it, it teaches you how to take those negative things, those things, and spin them into positives in life. And she goes, how do I how do I do that? And I'm, and I ask people if if you've ever had the wind knocked out of you, you know what I'm talking about. I had I had a mental wind knocked. I lost. I was like, and I said, you know, I really don't know, but I can't say this. I I still haven't forgiven myself though. I know I should for not spending every second I could with my brother before he passed away it's there every second away from him. I said, so maybe the message is there and not that you're not, I'm sure you're wonderful with her to be the best sister you could be for your sister, to be with her every waking moment you can, to cherish every second that, you know, she's on earth with you, um, to do things for, her, to create these special moments, these special memories, do things with her, make, take some trips, you know, whether, in, or, or later on, maybe when she gets a little sick, you do some crafts, do, do all these things, that you can do, create those memories, and I said the other thing. Don't forget your parents. I said your parents are going to lose a child. I mean that's that's horrific. And I said I, I don't. I really don't know. I said uh, you kind of caught me off guard. But if you're asking me that, if I had the opportunity again to do it, I would be the best brother I could be for my brother. I would be. Oh my God. There's things I wish I would go back and change. So anyway, a couple years, couple two three years go by. And I'm, I'm back there teaching it's lunchtime. And I see this down the, you know, down the aisle tour. I'm coming down. I go, Oh, right away. I go, there they are. It's them two again. And they come down and I go, chief. I said, no, I, I remember you. I, I remember you. <laughs> and, uh, she goes, you know, um, I just want to let you know, my, my sister about two years ago, she, she's in a better place. She passed away. And, um, and I said, Oh, I'm so sorry. And she goes, uh, it, it, she's, she's, not in pain. And she goes, uh, do you remember our conversation? So I I remember your conversation all the time. She said, you know, I I always wondered how am I going to take my sister's terminal illness and turn it into a positive, like you said, she goes, and I never really gave it a thought again. And she said, uh, just a little while back uh, my best friend's sister, my best friend's sister was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And I was able to sit down and talk with her about the things that you talked to me about and about, the things that I did and then looking out for my parents and, you know, she had, she had come home and, you know, just to stress me that they would have a glass of wine and it got to be a little more. So I helped her control that because it's easy to depression. will do that to you. Right. And she goes, I never thought that my sister's terminal illness would be able to turn around and help someone. And she goes, and I was able to help my friend because of my, si-. well, I'm always like a time bomb of tears anyway. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, and I'm just, and all of a sudden it, they just started rolling. And she gave me a hug and they ended up leaving. And I was like, you know, and I actually I was so relieved because I felt like I let them down when you know, they asked that question. I, I was so, David, fiercely a believer in what I was saying, the message about what Mitch Alvin, the whole thing, the five people, the, there's five lessons you have to learn before you actually get into heaven. I'm like, oh, my God, sacrifice, you know, and, 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 and forgiveness. And I'm thinking all these things. And I'm going, how you never know. You know, you never know. You know, it, it's one of those things, one of my favorite phrases I got from a mentor a long time ago is worry about the things you can fix, not the things you can't. And I told her that during that discussion. I said, you can't, you can, is there any way you can change what's going to happen to your sister? She said, no. What you can change is how you react to it and what you do, and the repercussions will be the impact you'll have on your lovely sister. I just, I had to mention that. You <clears throat> made me think of that story just when you said, how do you turn something, a heartache like that, a heartbreak like that into something positive or, or something beneficial to someone else, I never thought, I never even gave it a thought. I'm like, and then that happened. I'm going, you know what, this really does work. So sorry about the long story, but it's just, you
1: made me think of it. No, that, that's a great story. Well, let's, um, let's shift gears a little bit. Let, <laughs> let's re let's rewind a little bit. Who or what had the biggest influence in your life's trajectory? You know, you ended up uh, becoming a police officer, law enforcement officer. Transitioning over into the fire service, uh, early on in your fire service career, did you did you have aspirations to become a chief officer?
2: Well, you know, I, I never want to be the chief. I think a lot of people are fibbing when you say, "Where do you see yourself thirty years?" and I'm still going to be a firefighter. No, you're not. You're going to want to be a driver, a lieutenant or captain or a BC or whatever. And some people, the more you get up there, you go, i want to have a little bit greater impact on things. I was fortunate to have had some accidental chance meetings of some people that became mentors of mine. Uh, they were at the right time, at the right place in my life. In Illinois, you got to be 21 to be a career police officer, firefighter. So all through high school, I was doing the whole explorer thing for police of fire. And then I became a volunteer firefighter. And my first off season, you know, playing ball, I went to paramedic school, And then I went to the police academy and I was a volunteer firefighter, part-time firefighter between all that. And they hired me as a cop first. They hired me as a cop. And and I tell people in the Chicago area, for the longest time, you had a better chance of winning the lottery than getting a career firefighter job. So um, I was one of those professional test takers on Saturdays with a bunch of guys going and taking tests and taking tests and taking tests and taking tests. You know, I had a hard choice to make when the time came to take the full-time firefighter paramedic job and quit being a police officer. I loved being a police officer. But, but that being said, in the fire service, it, it, the influences on me, if, if that's what you're looking for, David, it was, there's there's been a couple, you know, as a young firefighter paramedic, and sadly, these are those things you never realize till you mature later in life. My Lieutenant Bill Allen, I talk about Bill every chance I can in classes. Bill Allen had 31 years in a job when I went to work there. That guy had the energy of, of a, a 14-year-old soccer player. I mean, that guy smart man, wonderful man, the best boss I've ever worked for in my life on the fire service. Absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible. He had this way, you know, his leadership skills, if you pick them apart, it's everything you should be as a boss. Everything you should be as a boss. And uh, he knew what buttons to push. You know, if I came in in a real bad mood, I had a relationship going bad and I came in and, you know, there's 10 to 15 guys times two changes shifts and it's a madhouse, and Guys are throwing donuts at each other and yelling at each other. You know how it is. And <laughs> and I came in. I'm like, you see this face? You see this face? Like, That's it. That's it. Uh, I, I don't want, I, I just, I'm, I'm pissed off. I'm going to stay this way the whole time. Just leave me alone. I, I marched off and, you know, and that was it. And about 45, 50 minutes later, we're on the floor doing the rig checks. And we're laughing and yucking it up. And I and I looked over and I looked at him and inside I'm going, you sneaky SOB. You did it again. And, and, and one of the many great things he did as a boss was he knew how to grab me rick he knew what buttons to push to get me to re-engage and he knew how to take me and pick me back up and put me back on the track a lot of people that aspire to be good bosses they think it's about blowing a siren honking a horn you know stand out of fire sitting at the head table, do all this stuff. And it's about knowing your people. It's about knowing their strengths or weaknesses. There's so many things we could talk about that when it comes to about Reed. One of his many points as a boss was to get to know his guys and gals. And he knew me so well. And the guy was incredible. He taught me so much about how to be a good firefighter, how to be a good person, how to be a good dad, how to be a good husband, how to be a good brother in the fire service, you know, just things that when I was a younger firefighter paramedic, I was, I'd listen to it. You know, it's kind of like you're like, oh yeah, oh yeah. And then later on in life, all of a sudden you go, I always ask people, was uh, raise a show me hands, show hands in class. How many people have apologized to their mom already? And they all laugh. I go, No, seriously, I remember my mom sitting in my driveway in Louisville, Texas. We we're watching the kids on the street riding their bikes. And I leaned over, I said, Mom, I'm sorry. And she goes, For what? I go, for everything, <laughs> <laughs> for everything I did you as a kid. And because I knew everything, I knew more than you, and you were you were you were dumb, you were my dumb mom and all that. And I'm like, God, I didn't know how brilliant you were and how smart, you know. It's kind of the same thing with good bosses and good mentors. You're, you're like, you don't realize it at the time. In for I've been able to tell him and I brag at him all the time, but that was a tremendous influence on me as a firefighter. Growth development, I, I really can't give you one person, David, I have to give you a couple. And that's Chief Jack McCaslin. uh, I was a chief in the Oak Lawn on the Southside Chicago, Oak Lawn Fire Department. Uh, chief Eddie Enright. And when I met him, he was like, captain on 98 engine in Chicago. And then the third battalion in the first uh, district, the deputy district chief and chief Tom Freeman mentors that, you know, Mac could tell me, hey, dummy, I sit down. You are out of here." you know, and because I know where some people wear their hearts on their shirt sleeve. I did. not He could straighten me out and I wouldn't be hurt. I, I'd be like, oh, you know, I was more worried about disappointing them than about getting maybe chewed off or doing something wrong. But all three of them had incredible influences on my career and my career growth and then you know my best friend back then was a guy named ray hoff ray was a captain of chicago he's one of the two real backtrack brothers his brother bobby was commissioner up till a few years ago uh their dad was killed uh february 14 1961 in, in a uh 2 sorry in a uh, fire in chicago and their older brother tom the board when he of him holding his dad's helmet you know ray, ray ended up had gallbladder surgery and passed away from a bleed, believe it or not, later on in life. But, you know, as a friend, he had a huge impact on me. And then later on, it was the best friend I ever had in my life. I think my brother sent it to me was John Salka. John is the best friend I ever had. Uh, When I received the Tom Brennan Lifetime Achievement Award at FDIC, I tried to, when I mentioned him, I tried to just explain, all I tried to say was, I lost my brother, my younger brother, 13, but found him again with you. And i couldn't get the words out i ended up getting the words out but it took i think i must have had like a it felt like a half hour pause while i was trying not to cry by saying it but but john Salka has been that brother to me that i've missed you know since my brother left me when i was 13. so it's kind of hard i think a lot of people have a hard time placing a a finger on one person like i said you know and i, I corrected that date with 1962 with tom hoff about being taken from us at that fire uh, bobby and ray's uh, dad but uh yeah i it just again i think it goes back to i think we don't pay enough attention i think people throw the words mentor friendship brother sister around like loose change and don't really understand what they mean and there's so much more to mentoring and making a difference in other people's lives than some people actually teach in the class you know i've watched people teach the class guy. that's not mentoring or you forgot all this you know i mean there's it it How about going and making a difference? Stop calling mentoring
1: and just call it making a difference to someone else's life. And they did with me, every one of them. It's funny that you bring up John Salka. And this is another tie-in to to my brother's passing. Um, It was uh, maybe three months after he passed. I was at the beach with my wife and young daughter. And I had went for a run. I had this epiphany. You know how you do when you're grieving and uh, maybe angry. I I ran really fast and hard for way too long a distance, and realized there's no way I was going to be running back. So <laughs> so it took me a while to walk back to the hotel, and you know a lot of stuff had went through my head, and I. Realized what I needed to do was help other people. And specifically, I wanted to develop myself so that I could be an asset to other people. And that when my brother's son got older, he would look at me and know what kind of stock he came from. And I went to the bookstore and I looked for leadership books because I was still a fairly young fire officer. I didn't even know that there was fire department uh, centric leadership books. And there was John Salka's book first in last out. So I bought that. I don't even know how many times I've read it. That was the beginning of my journey and and to trying to develop myself as a leader, your book, pride and ownership, which I want to bring up a few things from, from that book in in a minute, but John Salka um, with that That kind of that set the tone for me as a as a young lieutenant, taking ownership and and stepping out front and and being somebody that others look to, being an example. When I started putting together leadership materials to, to share with other people, I ended up going to the United States Naval Academy website, and they've got a whole section. There's there's a whole school at the Naval Academy for leadership and it's named right. after uh, rear Admiral James Stockdale. So then I went down that rabbit hole, but that's a different story. I found this uh, lecture. Now I don't know if you're familiar with Colonel Art Athens, but he does this lecture about the three C's of leadership and it's courage or uh, competence, courage, and compassion. And compassion I think is kind of what we're talking about, about being a mentor isn't just teaching somebody the right way to do things. It's actually getting to know them and genuinely caring about their success. And I I think that's the difference between, well, actually, I mean, that's what Art Athens says is that's the difference between good leadership and incredible leadership is those individuals that are able to to show their people how much they care through their actions and it doesn't matter if they're holding them accountable for something stupid or building them up it's it's all the same because you're doing it out of love and And i think the the true
2: test of some of those leaders like you said is it's hard to do that with everybody You know, when you have someone that is a constant thorn in your side and I'm not just saying they disagree with you, but there's some people once in a while as a, as a boss, you get it, especially the higher up you go where they do some pretty nasty things to you. And I've had people say, I just can't, you know what, no, every time that guy, he's I say, you know what, that's, that's where any captain can sail a ship on calm seas, the good captain, the great captain can in a storm, you know, anybody could just sail through their firehouse and everything's all just hunky dory and everything's fine. It's when you've got a situation that you're dealing with that's, that, that's got a level of difficulty or a personality you're dealing with, and you still have to have that compassion for someone that if you weren't in the position you're at, you would say, screw you, you know? And I think that's hard for a lot of people to pull off. It, it kind of goes on that road about trusting people. It's like, I'd rather be burned with someone's distrust than miss out on the possibility of uh, having another good friend but after so many times you have to go, look, you know, there's, there's obviously a message being sent here. It's not even a, you know, they're, they're doing it on purpose and you know, you have to back away, but I think the can, I, the compassion thing, I think is probably the hardest one to pull off because it depends on how people are raised. Some people weren't hugged by their mommy and daddy enough, you know, and they're not, they just, you know, and I've had, I'm sure you've had, I've had officers that's not my job. I'm not, I'm not a babysitter. I've had people say that when I talk about being a supervisor, I'm not a babysitter. I'm like, well, um, yeah, yeah, you are. You know, it, we changed that term a long time ago, not me personally, but, you know, from babysitter to supervisor. So it sounded a little bit more professional, but that's what you are, <laughs> you know, just like a parent would make sure their kid doesn't get hurt. You're making sure you're fired. You, you know, parents are trying to teach their kids right from wrong and, and how to succeed in life. And that's what a good boss, a good leader does. You know, and I think a lot of people could pull that stuff off. It's the one, I think a lot of them can't figure out the compassion thing. Bruno said it best all those years for everything, customer service and people both in and out of house, very simple phrase, be nice, be nice, man. Just, you know what, if you're not, if it's not, if it doesn't feel right. Don't say it. Don't do it. I mean, it doesn't mean you're not going to have a, a food fight once. So especially us, we're like a family. You're going to have a food <laughs> fight and you're gonna getting upset, but when it's over, it's over. Don't carry a grudge, unload the rocks, let it go. Don't be super sensitive. If you're, if you're a sensitive person, you stood in the wrong line, go work for Subway or something like that. And if you're a boss, you want to please people, what do they tell you? You want to please people, make people happy, go sell ice cream. We have one chance to get it right in the fire service. Come do a line of duty death investigation or come do a line of duty at a funeral and you real quick get to go, wow, we only have one chance to get this stuff right. As a leader, being respected is what you shoot for. Being liked is a bonus. You ever, I'd rather they say, you know what, we may not not go along, but he always had my back or she always had my back or would take care of me. It looked out for me and my family. Then, oh man, we was great. We used to play games and cards all the time. And he, he would tell us, ah, don't worry about training today. And I, I compare a high school math teacher. I was a freshman in high school. The reason I had to take high school math in college to get my degree is because I was a jock in high school. And I and instead of me taking extra math classes and English classes, I took foods and nutrition one, foods and nutrition two, international foods, typing a shorthand because that's where all the girls were. And I learned pretty much nothing. And my math teacher, Mr. Kilbreth, would have me sit up. He was my wrestling coach. I would sit up next to the desk for the whole class. I never did an entire page of homework my freshman year in my basic math class. He would give me the keys to his car. I was a freshman. I'd drive to McDonald's to get his food. And if I could reach down into his coffin, if I could dig down to his coffin, I'd shake his corpse right now until it fell apart because... There, when I was doing those college, when I had my daughter, my freshman in high school daughter, who was a math whiz, teaching me college math, I'm like, well, it's kind of the same thing. When you as a boss say, yeah, don't worry about training. You know, If you're one of those goofy buffoons that likes to sit in a chair and not train their people, you know, you get there a minute before and you run out the door and you don't engage, You don't, there's no compassion, like you said, that's, that's Mr. Kilbreath. Yeah, nice guy. Hey, nice guy. I'd love to, love to sit down and play cards with you. I'd love to go ballgame with you. You did nothing for my career. He did nothing for me scholastically, but hurt me. I think a lot of people, but the compassion thing is is a tough one. I, I think we need to, look, you're not going to like everybody. And it's this, again, This is not about a like thing. I think that the word to tie right to compassion is respect. Get to know your people, understand them, have some empathy for folks once in a while. Show a little bit of respect. Is a too easy to understand that? You no, know, when people don't think their bosses care about them, everything, it's like pushing the cart off the cliff. You know what I'm saying? Old cowboy movie, waiting for it to splatter in the rocks beneath there. People need to know that their bosses care about them
1: period. What I wanted to bring up, there's a a part in pride and ownership that really struck me. Early on in my fire department career, there was, I think, three awards. The policy was you wore one of them and you wore the highest one. You wear the other ones? No. Okay. It wasn't until Later on, that uh, me and some of the other former military firefighters were able to petition the, the fire chief and get that policy changed. There was, there was this attitude that was, that I, you actually talk about it, is that it, it's our job. I don't need to wear something on my chest, you know, to make me feel good about doing my job or whatever. And it's not about you you never accomplish any of that stuff by yourself it's right I was wondering if you could talk about that get it straight from the horse's mouth and and you're right on with what you said it's it's you know I think what we confuse is I tell people
2: I said you know it's not about your ego and stroking your ego it's about representation and the meaning behind it all because I've had firefighters say I don't wear my medals I, I don't wear them you know I think I'm showing off and because I asked, I said, so what, why, did, why didn't you wear your class A uniform? You went to talk in front of the rotary. Ah, you know, I, I don't want to walk around. I feel like I'm kind of showing off on my class A. And the first thing I say to him is, my, aren't we a bit full of ourselves? Because that uniform ain't about you. That uniform is not about you. The uniform is bigger than anybody in this department, bigger than anybody in this room. If you're in a class, that uniform represents people who have been doing this for a couple hundred years. And it represents something special within the community. And those medals, when you say, I don't want to wear them, you know, I'm like, really? I don't wear mine to say looky looky at me. I wear them because I'm proud of, of an organization, a team that I'm involved with. And, you know because with some little kickers I so said, what's that red one for? You don't go into this long story on how I did. it. you know say, well, I got that because I'm part of a special team. even if it was an individual act that allowed you to, 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 to get a position to earn that it's still because you're part of something special. Jason Fry, a Marine Corps captain, a friend of mine said it, said it best. He was like, how dare you? How dare you choose not to represent your heritage, your service, your department? You know, those medals aren't, your. those medals aren't, you know, it's like the the Medal of Honor people, you know, one of mine, Colonel Bruce Crandall, Medal of Honor recipient. Most people know him as Snake. Uh, I won't say the other word and curse, but, you know, from We Were Soldiers. And one of my absolute idols. And we've talked several, I have, have his challenge coin sitting right here. I love that guy. And, you know, the the Medal of Honor recipients, uh, if you've ever watched that, Dave, you know, I'm sure you have Which background. In the reception at the White House later, there's always about six or seven old heads, former, you know, the previous recipients. Not award winners, it's not an award, you know, the recipient. You know, I was on my way to 29 Palms Marine Corps base to do a class and I'm on American Airlines and I'm reading American Airlines magazine. They do that honor flight thing with, um, uh, you know where they fly the the Medal of Honor recipients to their convention every year, in other places. I'm reading this article about Colonel Crand- Bruce Crandall, and it's a picture him at the White House. I cannot believe I forgot the sergeant's name who had just been who had just been presented and, and issued the, the the Medal of Honor. But he's standing there. He's got his suit coat on, but he's got his stetson from back then from his Huey helicopter, and he's you could tell there's a conversation going. They were talking about the conversation he had with this young this young sergeant about that medal, And he was telling him it's pretty incredible what you did to earn that. Wow. You know, this and that good for you. You know, thank, thank God for you. You know what you did. You saved a lot of, you know, soldiers like this and that, but I, I gotta, I gotta tell you that that medal represents something bigger than what's standing in front of me. First of all, represents all of us. Second, it represents all the people that got you to the point where you got that. And he went through this, it was like he started reciting these values and he went down this path of what it means to represent other people. And he goes, that medal is not yours. You can either wear that medal or it can wear you. You know, all these different things he was saying. And he said, you know, he goes, but as, as credible as it was what you did to earn that medal, you know what's more difficult than that one to earn? And I'm like, I am want to flip through the pages and go, well, what are you talking about? What's more What's more difficult than the highest? I mean, the medal of honor. He goes, and he takes the lapel coat and he flips the lapel up. He goes, that one. And he points to the good conduct medal on, underneath his lapel. And he goes, that's three years of perfection. Then he points to the Medal of Honor around his neck. He goes, that's the rest of your life. It's not just three years. That's the rest of your life. And this is why. And he went again through everybody he represents. Well, you know, doesn't that kind of apply to us? If if we're, you know, the the fire service is rich and steep in traditions with uniforms and awards. And why would you not, don't confuse ego for representation, but why would you not be proud to represent some, an organization, a profession that little kids wanna be. When Toys R Us was in business, David, you know this, I used to tell you, I said tell you, you go to Toys R Us, there's a whole aisle full of toys dedicated to you. There's a whole aisle full of toys, no disrespect, but there's not a whole aisle full of like UPS trucks. Nobody's going, hey David, I wanna go play UPS driver? No, they wanna play firefighter. They point at the fire truck. They point at your fire engine. That should be a message that a have for your ass about what it means to be in our profession. The coolest job in the world, volunteer career don't matter. The coolest thing in the world. Why would you not have a sense of pride? Again, not ego, a sense of of a beaming good feeling that you belong to something special. And and what you wear represents how you carry yourself, how you present yourself, how you walk, how you handle your calls, how you handle customer service. How do you take care of all everything we do. Look, everybody could do a great job at a fire and all the fun stuff. It's all the other stuff where you really have to polish the brass and do a good job. Why would you not be proud of that? Why would you not, you know, and it's, again, it's not about look what's on my chest and all that. I'm, I'm like, no, if you're thinking that, you're already wrong. If you have to sit there and tell yourself or tell someone, yeah, I don't wear those because, you know, I, you know, it's not about it. You already told me you're an egotistical person. Just for you thinking that those medals mean something about you more than you are tells me you already have an ego problem. You know what I'm saying? That, that, no, it, it's, you know, you wear them proudly. You you make sure you, and I don't care if your uniform is a class B uniform, button, shirt, and pants, or it's your volunteer department's polo shirt. It should be all boogered up and all crapped up with grease and stuff or wrinkled like, you know, my buddy John like you like you stored your shirt in the finger of a bowling ball. You think about the people. So so I guess when you put your class A uniform on to go to a firefighter's funeral, eh, I'm not going to wear my stuff the right way. I don't give a shit. You know, I mean, really you're getting dressed up to say goodbye to a comrade to set him off the right way represent. And you don't think it's appropriate to wear what was issued to you. I really have no problem kind of being a little uh, pointed with that message. Dave, you know what I'm saying? Because again, and, and you know, I'm a big believer in pushing reset months. I've had to do it plenty of times, shaking at your sketch. I call it every now and then, unless you've broken the law, you should be able to push reset button and readjust. If you think, if, you, if you're giving more thought to why you should have wear your wards than just wearing them, you've got an ego problem. I'm just saying right now, you can argue with me all you want. I'm telling you right now, you have an ego problem if that's what you're worried about. If you earned them as part of a company, company citation, a unit citation, a life-saving award, the Medal of Valor, a, 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 a merit, whatever it is, and you don't wear that, shame on you because it ain't about you. It's about something so much bigger. And when did this become about you? You know, you put your hand up, you became a public servant. You screwed a helmet to your head. We're about them. We're not about us. And, you know, I, I just think sometimes people get that twisted. And, and good leaders and good bosses could sit down and go, no, I'm going to explain something to you right now because this, this, this ain't going to happen. And this is why you do it. Not to guilt them. Some people have never had, David, some people have never wore a uniform in their life. They've never, they weren't, into, they weren't in the scouts. They, they have never, ever wore a uniform until they got hired in the fire department. And if no one tells them how to wear that uniform and what that uniform represents, how are they supposed to know? Is this like magic or voodoo? That's just going to, one day there's going to be a light, like that movie Frequency, right? About the firefighter. All of a sudden there's a light and somebody through the light told me what my, no, it, it takes good bosses, good leaders, good senior firefighters to say, hey, come here. No, dude, this is not how, backtrack. You're doing it wrong. You know what? Come here. You have you know your your uniform, you're doing it wrong. Let me show you what you should be doing with your uniform. I mean, it's a reflection on all of us, you know what I'm saying? So that that's so, my passion yeah. about that part. Of it.
1: Yeah, no, thank you so much. I could feel that passion and reading that and me trying to convey it to somebody else it doesn't have the same impact. I'm so happy that
2: you <laughs> you vocalized it. You're welcome, buddy. You're welcome, brother.
1: 40, 40 years. And, and trying to narrow it down to one but because I'm sure you've got a, a lot but uh, what is one of the most memorable moments in, in your fire service career?
2: Like you said, there's so many I mean I was, I was fortunate my career as a paramedic. I've delivered five babies and and there's been things like that. Uh, I think it's I think the easy way out is to talk about a call or incident you were on. if I had to put my finger on the thing that, my proudest moment, my most, the most exciting moment I'll remember for the rest of my life was graduating paramedic school. For those of you that are out there where it's easy for you to go through paramedic school, God bless you. I kind of hate you. Um, you're like the person that buys one lottery ticket for a dollar and wins like $700 million. I only bought one ticket. You know, I wouldn't even think about winning and you won seven million million. God bless you. I'm teasing you. But you know, it was, it was almost a year of my life that was one of the most stressful, the hardest. I mean, I just, I worked my ass off and I always loved to be an EMT. I always loved being a paramedic. I love the EMS side of the fire service. Randy Mantooth is a buddy of mine, Johnny Gage. And that guy, I mean, if I've told him once, I've told a hundred times, the only reason I'm a because you, you know, paramedic is you, you know, And you, how many times you hear that all the time? I, if I had to put my finger on one thing, that, that would be it. The most exciting moment, the moment, no, it wasn't my first fire. I can remember my first fire. I got trapped in my first fire. I can remember, I can remember, I can remember so many things about the fire service calls wise. I can remember jokes in the firehouse. I can remember good times, bad times. I can remember having some of my best buddies killed in the line of duty in a fire. But the most dramatic, the most exciting, it would have to be graduating paramedic school. I, 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 I till this day, it is the most exciting thing. Forty plus years, and I just. I, I wish I could go back and do it all over again, even though it was hard work it was, because I just, it was just, it was incredible.
1: I never, well, I did go to paramedic school. Um, I actually got in trouble in the middle of paramedic school and didn't get to finish. I didn't get in trouble for anything I did in school. It was, uh, that's I'm that's a different story. <laughs> you know
2: what? We call we call whoopses. You know, there's yeah. yeah we everybody's. Made, I already told you the mistakes I made earlier in my life. So you know.
1: Yeah, but i I know how. Um, I know how tough paramedic school is, and my hats off to all those paramedics out there because, man, that's a tough road and tough year. I mean, I've seen seen relationships suffer a lot. Oh, you know, just because of how. How much work goes into to going to school and
2: well, and I think one of the time. lessons they too there is for for any of the, your listeners that are that are younger in your career is there there's a long way to go and I've got 40 plus years and I'm still I'm volunteering with a department five minutes for me and I'm loving it because I'm teaching classes I used to teach an essentials class when I was brand new in the fire service and the energy and then I'm realizing I forgot things a little bit or I, I need some, you know, there's, oh, you know, right. I tell people learn something about this job every day. I don't care if, if it's a five minute read on your app for fireengineering.com or whatever. Paramedic school taught me that when I, I was a young firefighter, I grew up in the fire service with my dad and all that stuff. I thought I, I knew everything already. I, I I'm seriously, I was... I, I swear to God, David, I knew everything. There's no doubt I'm not even going to argue with you. I knew everything back then. And I got to a paramexical and said, I don't know, Jack. I know, I don't know, Jack. And not just about EMS. I don't know, Jack, about the fire service. And it was just, you know, it was kind of like that message, the whole hit yourself with the mallet going, Rick, time to realize there's a whole lot to learn about this career. Didn't stop just when you graduated the fire academy, right?
1: We've touched on quite a, quite a bit that, is very indicative of your personal leadership philosophy. I'm wondering what experiences you've had throughout your career that, that shaped that. Cause you've been, you've held all of the leadership positions in the fire service. Each one of them, each one of those positions comes with their own challenges. I think there's lessons to be learned in each one of those positions.
0: Oh,
2: absolutely. And I think in my, in my life, Thankfully, I've learned more from my mistakes than I have from the things that I did correctly, the things that I did right. I it seemed, it seemed, I even dwell on it sometimes and you let go of that stuff. But, you know, everybody's human and you make mistakes and and you say things you shouldn't say, you do things you shouldn't do. I'm not talking about breaking laws. I'm just talking you do there's things I missed out on that I use in classes now to help people sidestep that landmine, if you will, that I didn't, that I stepped on in Bluey. Each and every position taught me some lessons from everything from how I treated my coworkers to how I treated the firehouse, my apparatus, my tools, how I worked towards my future and everything, that there was these little lessons along the way that helped guide me. It, it, it's almost like taking that water slide ride, the big imitation toboggan wood thing where you're You know, the whole time you're up there, you're banging off the different walls and that's, but the little channel you're in is keeping you on the right path. And eventually you're going to make it down to the bottom pool after a dive. I think along the way, I think recognizing that you're not perfect and recognizing that you're going to make mistakes and don't beat up by yourself too much and figure out where to learn from them. I mean, like I said, anybody can, you know, you need to learn from your successes as well. People forget to do that, but that's the easy lesson. You know, the harder lesson is to Take a good look at yourself. It's a hard thing to do, man, to look at yourself and go, This is on me. I screwed up. Instead of placing blame or throwing poop in different directions because you don't want to accept responsibility for what you did, you know, you need to look at yourself and go, This is mine. I screwed up. I own this one. What do I have to do? I remember getting transferred. I remember walking in, you know, I was my dad. I mean, God, my, my dad and I, we roofed together. My dad's buddy from early in the fire service, Dick Fashada, made chief. I love him. Love him. Uh, uh, what a what a great, great man, great fire chief. I miss him. I, I was very proud. I was on a ladder truck. You know, I was a roofer, so I was always in a ladder truck. And, I mean, God, we were a nation. We just, we just, we were it, man. Nobody fought fire like us. Nobody was as good as us, period. And uh, this went on for a while, and I came in one day, and I look, and there's a transfer order. I'm moving to B-shift. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. A B-shift? I mean, I'm, I'm going from the A-team to the Island of Misfit Toys? Really? I mean, I just... I, 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 I'm like, oh my God, you're kidding me, right? This is, how can this be, what did I do wrong? I'm like, they don't have fight fires. They're, hell, their shift commander's nickname, the captain's nickname is the boob, the boob. And I'm like, oh my God, this? they don't know how to fight fire. So sure enough, when I got transferred, I, I let them know how much they didn't know and how little they knew and that we were better than them. And it took me about three weeks um, for them not to be talking to me. And my chief, who I idolize, my dad's friend, calls me in the office, and he says, "And his, and if you ever have this said to you, you know you're in a world of poop already." He says, "He goes, come on in. Don't sit down because you're not going to be in here that long." And I went, "Uh-oh." He says, "Lasky, what is wrong with you?" He goes, "You've got to be the stupidest." I go, and "I'm going." And now I'm crushed because I feel like I just disappointed this guy. What? He goes, "What is wrong?" He went through this whole time. He goes. I moved you to that shift because I needed strength on that ladder truck. I needed you to do on 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 their shift on their ladder truck what you did on the other one, and you you know what you ruined it. It's gonna take you it's gonna take you three years to fix. what You did in thirty seconds, of running your mouth, and, get out of here, just get out of my office. And I walked out. It's one of those where you're walking and you're kind of like shoulders are shrugging. I'm kind of going back and forth. And I remember with this crappy imitation brick tile floor, this crappy corkboard little squares you put up and they would, they put pins in them and stuff. And the watch, the radio room, the watch was to the left, uh, to the right. Past the corporal was the doorway to the kitchen. I walk in the kitchen, I walk in the day room and it's already like six. And you know, the guys are already in the recliners by right uh, before dinner. I step in front of the TV and I said, look, I got to say something. I shut the TV off. I said, I got to say something to you guys. Uh, I'm sorry. I said, I've, I've acted like a complete world-class jackass. I I don't know how I'm going to fix this, but I promise you. I'm gonna fix this, and I'll earn earn your your respect uh, and my place on this shift. and And I looked out, and not a one was looking at. Me. Actually, no. You know who was looking at me? The boob. The boob was in his kind, of, kind of looking up me like this. And it took me. So I started making up their beds in the morning. I started cooking. I was cleaning. I was just. I kept my mind just working my ass off. And it was about. Three months later, we're playing flag football against the cops and winning like we should be. And uh, it's halftime. We're sitting in the stands and, and this, this guy, Joe Kosky goes, uh, he, we're all laughing and yucking up. He goes, Lasky, you're not as big an asshole as I thought you were. Now, if anyone ever tells you you're not as big an asshole as they thought you were, and you take it as a compliment, you need to work on something. You know what I'm saying? I said, thanks, man. And I I was so proud of that moment because what I thought was going to take me three years to fix, like my chief said, took me about three months. And I, and I even worked harder with them after that. And, you know, you talk about one of those life's lessons that, look, you don't know everything. Shut your mouth. You know, if you're the new guy, the best way to fit in is do your job. Best way to do your job is fit in kind of stuff. You know, you know what I'm saying? One of those things. But golly, it's, I think those are the lessons throughout your fire service career that make you better, make you stronger, make you a better leader, a better person, a better firefighter. You know, anybody can just float down the creek, you know, on a raft and go look at me, look at all the great things I've done. You suck it up when you screw up, admit you're wrong, and fix it. And uh, I think you're a better person for it.
1: Thank you for sharing that. Pretty cool story. <laughs> you're welcome, buddy. I, I, can, uh, I can relate. <laughs> <laughs> I think all of us can relate. Uh, the uh... <laughs> <laughs> so what advice would you give to um, young firefighters, Uh current firefighters looking to promote and um, what advice would you give to chief officers who want to be better leaders?
2: Well, if I was going to say something to that new firefighter first, that young firefighter first, like you said, it would be get down on your hands and knees and thank God for being given the opportunity to serve as a volunteer career firefighter. This is the coolest, coolest, coolest freaking job in the world. I mean, we have the best toys, we have the biggest toys, little old ladies and men love you, little kid. you know what I'm saying? I mean, there's people that have, you know, now you have a job ahead of you, and that is to be the best firefighter you can be, and you only get there through training, you only get there through learning, you only get there through experiences and listening and being that good firefighter, being that loyal soldier, if you will, you know, that great Marine, you know, that great airman, Coastie, whatever you want, sailor, all, all five branches then. Uh, you know, be that person, be, like I said, be the kind of rookie that has to be ordered to sit down and take a break and you'll take the break, but you won't sit down. Always be cleaning, always be fixing, always be learning. I think passion is the key to success everywhere with everything. If your passion, passion is the foundation that you build on when it, you know you take your education or what you learn or your experiences and the lessons and what people talk and you, but without passion, I, I, I say this all the time people who lack passion suck you suck you suck if you don't love what you do you suck at it I wouldn't even give you very good you're okay there are a lot of people David right there are a lot of people are okay like that ATT commercial with the not to do a plug for ATT here on your show but um, <laughs> the guy who's laid in his hospital bed I remember he's in the hospital and his wife's talking to the nurse and says oh, how's Dr. Johnson she goes oh he's okay and the guy goes just okay and the doc, you hear him call guess who just got reinstated he goes <laughs> uh, well, well sort of hey you nervous yeah me too ah uh, don't worry about it. we'll figure out when we get in there that's who you want operating in you i don't want some a slug of a firefighter showing them take care of my wife or my kids i want the best most energized excited always learning fired up passionate firefighter to take care of my family so look in the mirror are you in love with the job yet if you're not man this is the time you know get it from the beginning you're gonna need it, you know, you're gonna need it because you're gonna get bounced around a little bit, but do everything you can to appreciate this incredible, absolutely incredible profession, learn everything you can, be that good brother or sister, be that loyalist, you know what I'm saying? Be loyal to the cause, loyal to your department, you know, remember it's always about them. And, and, and I, I just, there's, learn something every day. To those that, the, you know, the company officers, you know, if we bump up to that next level maybe, you know, besides what I just said to that newest firefighter, which still applies to you, it's about your people. Good bosses know it's about their people. Your people come first. Your people. In our company officer academy, the three-day version that John Salk and I do, we had a guy. Was it Georgia? He came up. It was about a year ago. He because we talk about, and you're going to hear this over the next three days several times about it's always about your people. Your people come first. You always take care of your guys and gals. So. At, when when we were doing graduation, we hand out the company officer and lapel pins, you know, company officer, can lapel pins and the, their diplomas. He, as we're shaking hands, he walks up and he leans over he goes, it was 57. I go him, it was 57 times I counted. You guys said over three days, it's always about your people. It's always about your people. It's always about your people. As a company officer, as a boss, as a battalion, whatever, it is always about your people. It's always about those that work for you and around you. It's about being, it's about, it's about being loyal All right. It's about being loyal and respectful to your bosses and about caring and compassion for those you lead, you know, and you can be that. You can do both. You can be compassionate and you can care about your people and still be a boss. And the last I would say that to the company officers is, you know, don't get hung up on these memes. They call them on social media, like the difference, the the boss leader thing drives me insane. You see the the one meme. I have a picture I use in class. This guy, he wrote this thing out. On the left hand side, it's like boss, right? I says leader. The left side says, a boss will yell and scream at you. The right a leader will rub your shoulders. A boss. Look, I've worked for great bosses. I just talked about them. I've worked for I worked for bosses that should be thrown in jail. And I work for people, so-called leaders who couldn't find the word leader with two hands, a flashlight, a C CNI dog. You know, so don't get hung up on a term. Get hung up on the traits, the leadership traits that people live by and display. Take care of your people and, and take everything I said to that new firefighter, apply it again in that middle part of your career. And as a chief, you know, I, I look at, you know, you're, you're you Alan Brunicini, my godfather used to say it best. You can't poop up. You can't poop up. Poop rolls downhill. You know, it's all about leadership. Denny Rubin says all the time, it's all about leadership. It is all about leadership. You know, how you lead, how you act, how engaged you are, what you do. You know, what are you fighting for your people? Are you fighting for staff? you fighting for better apparatus? Are you holding people accountable? Are you making sure the communication is going good back up and down that ladder? You know, are we staying in our lane, if you will, when it comes to the the command process of who I, I, do you go chewing out firefighters and bypass assistant chiefs, deputy chiefs, division chiefs, battalion chiefs, and captains? Or do you let people and supervisors take care of their business and their situations? I used to turn to Tim, God bless Tim. I used to turn it to Tim, say, Tim, go fix this with your battalion chiefs. He was assist chief over the battalion chiefs. Okay, boss, and he and his captains, his battalion go go back to his captains. And when you start to micromanage and you start to meddle into their processes, you're not allowing them to lead. Give them the tools, give the goods, empower them, hold them accountable. Be, I, I guess my best advice would be be the kind of chief you always want to work for. I I never forget. I got asked that in an interview, David, about what kind of what kind of chief would you would you want to work for. And I, it was in Louisville. My, my boss, Donna Barron, she was one of the panelists. I said, well, I definitely know who I don't want to be like, and that's the guy I just worked for. And she started, I said, I'll sign a piece of paper right now that if I ever get to be a kind of fire chief that I just worked for, you can run me down with your car and take me out of my misery. Just do You know what? I'll sign a paper. I will not press charges nor my family. If I ever get to be like that guy, please just, just, I'll stand in a row just, it'll be Groundhog Day. I'll stand in front of the truck. You can just hit me. I'm, I'm, I'm just, No. I know the kind of chief I want to be like. I want to be like Eddie. I want I want the command presence that Chief Jack McCaslin had. And, and his ability to teach subjects like building, construction, fire behavior, make him excited. Have you sitting on the edge of your seat in a building construction class? This tough, built like a football linebacker, Vietnam vet Marine who should be dead for what he went through in Vietnam. God, what a great man. I want the compassion for the job and the, and the people, and the smarts that 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 Chief Eddie Enright had. In Chicago, Double E, man, God, I wanted, it. and I, and I, and I and I wanted Tom Freeman's smarts, and his 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 tactic, his strategy, you know, the way he read buildings, and I, I don't want to be them. I want to take those traits and slap them all over Rick to make me a better boss. It's all about passion for everybody. It's really there for the new guy or gal. Company officers, take your people, and and for you chiefs if you did nothing more than think about and write down all the traits you loved about the best boss you ever worked for, and
1: then go out and do it, I think you're already ahead of everybody else. It's badass. (laughs) (laughs) Is there anything that I should have asked that I I just didn't know enough to ask that is pertinent to our conversation that could benefit those listening? No, I I, do.
2: I think you covered everything very well. I mean, I, I think we did as a team uh, with this, uh, you know, I, I think we, you and I can only emphasize enough to go out and be the best you can be, be a student of the game, never stop learning. The day you stop learning, you should go get your basketball and retire because you're gonna get someone hurt. You know, it's all about training. It's all about learning. It's all about, we didn't touch on response capabilities, but a buddy of mine taught a class and my buddy John Salka talks about it all the time. You want to reduce response times, get out of the firehouse quicker because they're not your seconds. You're not you're you're not wasting your seconds, you're wasting their seconds. That's someone not breathing, that's someone laying in the smoke longer. You know, do everything you can from how you turn out to how quick you put your turnout gear on to how quick you done your SCBA to how quick you stretch hose. This job is a very training intensive job. And don't let anybody tell you that hands-on training isn't important anymore. You know, you've got to have the cognitive skills. You have to, you have to. Read and listen to the lessons and listen to those senior firefighters, listen to those guys and gals that are sitting around the kitchen table on drill night, telling those stories, listen to what they're saying and dial in with that and make sure you're, you're, you're paying attention to that. Cause there's so many, I mean, there's, there's, there's so much to learn about this job. There's so much to capture about, about what it is we do. And the moment you think you're all dialed in, man, something's gonna happen. You know, it's the greatest job in the world. I'll leave it this way. Eddie Enright used to always say, "Rick, all I tell guys is leave it a little bit better for the next person." If all we all did was try to leave it a little little bit better for the next person, think how much better we'd be. You
1: know, I've had plenty of opportunities to peruse your your website and looked at all the resources available. I was wondering if. Uh, You'd go ahead and share with the audience um, your website, uh, some of the things that you offer, okay. the, the books that you have available? Well, it's, you know, we're getting ready to,
2: to redo our website. It's time to update a little bit. It's, it serves as part. It does good. But uh, I don't put, I've got 360-something classes I do. Well, we do them in the private sector. We do them with armed forces, law enforcement, EMS, dispatch, fire. Um, it's hard to put all of them on there. You know, we try to cherry pick and add a few. And the website, pridenotorship.com is probably the best thing website-wise. Just contact information. My email is easy. So you remember Chief Lasky, and that's L-A-S-K-Y, no E in there. Chief Lasky at gmail.com. You know, I'm easy to find on Twitter and Facebook and uh, Instagram and all that stuff. If anybody's looking for any of the books, I sell them at at our cost. So it saves you whatever I can save you. If you go to pridenotorship.com, there's a whole menu tab out it for books and videos and DVDs. You know, Pride ownership. you know, the audio book is on, well, the audio book is, is on uh, iTunes and Spotify. It's also on Kindle and then, you know, the hard copy and then all the other videos. And, and if you can't find something there, go to fireengineeringbooks.com. Fire Engineering has got it, it's some incredible, incredible resources to the video streaming library is un, by God, believable. If you want to know about that, email me, I'll send you a flyer. I wish I had that as a training officer. I spend myself a couple thousand dollars on videos every year. Not anymore. I subscribe to that and I get thousands of videos for my minuscule subscription. And I get to watch, it's, I, I've always referred to it as, as Netflix for firefighters. Other than that, I'm, I'm you know, proudly serving with the Wichita West volunteer fire department in Wichita County, Texas up here. And, Great chief, Chief Ryan Fetzer, some great volunteers, uh, a lot of career, you know, got some career guys that are retired that are doing it now again. And uh, it's a good mix of all ages. Yeah, that's probably the the highlight of that. That's where you get the books, uh, the website again, pridehorse.com, the email is on there. And, you know, don't forget, I'll say this, you know, not only do I have the third hump day of every month on firejunior.com, hump day hangout at noon central time, Uh, myself, Terry McGrath, Bobby Halton, uh, John Salkin, Scott Thompson. John Salk also do the command post. Uh, fire engineers podcast but we also do old school um we're at oh god we've been doing a couple years really we we, about every 10 days we release one we're up to 50 something and 100 something thousand downloads and um and it's there's no script like you and i there's no we don't we talk leadership we talk taxes talk everything so it's old school that's you just look for old school or you'll find it you'll see the logo so but that's it my friend that's it brother i hope uh you had a a great christmas a great holiday and you're ready for new year's man yeah, I'm ready. Yeah. Let's hope 2021 comes in and takes us to a different uh, place right now, you know?
1: <laughs> uh, I have no doubt. 2021's where it's going to be.
2: Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. But well, David, thank you so much. It was truly an honor, buddy.
1: Man, thank you. This I, I've gotten so much out of this talking with you. I love being able to talk to somebody that, well, one, has spent so much time in the fire service, and still has that passion, because so many times people they they retire and they just want to push it out of their mind. I don't ever want to lose the the love of the job. I, I feel like I was born for this, and and I I imagine you feel the same way. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I love it. I love. It. I love my family
2: first, but I absolutely can't get enough of the fire service. I can't think of a better way to serve my master. So. But sure. thank you, David. I appreciate your kind words, buddy. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of From Embers to Excellence. Please visit hallenbockleadership.com for additional content. Dave's goal is to add value to as many people as possible. So if he can be of any assistance to you or someone you know, please connect with him via email or on one of his social media accounts, linked on the homepage of his website. Remember, our failures don't define us unless we let them. And the only true measure of a leader is the success of their team.